Hey, welcome for joining me on the On Call Empath Show. I'm Raj Mantaj. I created this podcast for all the empaths and highly sensitive people out there that want to find a safe space where they can come to and know that they're not alone. Each week, you can expect an expert guest to share their knowledge and expertise. So come with me on my journey and let's grow together. And remember, you're never alone. You're listening to the On Call Empath Show. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of the On Call Empath. Uh, I apologize, everyone. I've been gone for a little bit. I know you guys have been uh, reaching out to me to see if I was doing okay. I had a little uh, family emergency, which uh, you know has actually uh, turned out okay. I was a little scared. I uh, had some uh, things that I had to take care of uh, uh, with my family, and everything's fine now. So I appreciate all the uh, love and support from from everyone. But today I have a very interesting guest uh, by the name of Joe Ryan, who is a trauma coach. And um, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring him on is because he has a very different approach. You'll definitely see he's going to tell his lifelong story about his uh, overcoming trauma and shame and all the demons that he went through through childhood and now he's dedicated his life to helping others conquer the same thing with traumatic experience and now coaches people. And he's very good at what he does, real genuine, compassionate, and he's going to lay it all on the line. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm good, Raj. How you doing, man? Thank you for having me. <laughs> good to have you. You know, I the, the moment I, I started speaking to you, it was like, you know, you, you really knew like exactly where I was coming from. Um, you did not seem like a coach, like you seem more like, like just like a buddy I was speaking to. And so I, and that's why I kind of wanted to bring you on to this, this uh, podcast episode, because we have so many people, empaths and highly sensitive people that are tuning in. Um, you know, they have a lot of vulnerability, and some of them are ashamed to talk about, you know, the traumatic things that may have happened when they were growing up. Um, so with that said, I mean, can you just tell us a little bit about your story and, and how, uh, you know, everything unfolded for you as, as far as your tra- traumatic childhood? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with uh, a decent amount of abuse and I lived with a lot of shame. And, you know, you grow up in a you grow up in one household and, you know, in a shame based family, it is either their way or no way. So you just think it's normal and you grow up and you learn how to eat a lot of abuse and a lot of shame and a lot of humiliation and you take it on as yourself as you know I didn't make a mistake I am a mistake and I think I've went through my whole life just feeling like a mistake and always wrong and having you know no confidence and no compassion for myself because it was never modeled or or shown to me and you know, I went through years of addiction and, you know, toxic relationships and abuse. And, you know, at some point I kind of got, um, I kind of took on my role in my family system. See, I, I lived it early on and then I rebelled. And then I was an addict and I was out drinking and drugging and partying and just chasing the action and trying to keep, you know, as far ahead of my nervous system as I possibly could. And at some point I'd gotten clean and I'd gotten married and I had a house and a business and I embraced my role in, in my family system. And, 
there was a there was a piece in that in some respect but i wasn't really being authentic i was just living a lie and living a false self right and a lot of the stuff that you're you're describing um is what I hear from a lot of the listeners out there. A lot of the empaths, you know, they say it starts from childhood. Uh, a lot of the abuse and their their brains when they're developing, um, you know, they get they get to a point where they are automatic and everything that their parents do, all the abuse, they take it into adulthood. Uh, I don't know if you heard of a doctor by the name of Dr. Matt, uh, Gabor Mate. He talks about how it actually changes the brain. Um, and how we're, you know, the wiring, you know, um, as as children, it could and trauma could start as early as the womb, where you know, if your mom's carrying, carrying, um, you know, uh, a child, that could actually lead to, you know, the child coming into this world with before the first breath, you know, coming in traumatized, which is crazy. I mean, it, it, as far as how early it could start. Um, so I wanted to ask you on that family system. Uh, and what's your thoughts on that? But before I do, I just want to put a disclaimer out there that uh, uh, this is not, and I do repeat it, it's not any type of uh, replacement for medical advice. So definitely if you're having any uh, pain or physical or mental issues, please contact a doctor or a licensed healthcare professional. So with that said, um, you know, with the family system, what is your take, especially with all the clients that you see um, what do they say would happen to them? And is there any correlations that you do see? Well, yeah, I mean, a family system is not based on individual wants and needs. It's based on what the system needs to balance itself. So if there's one person in the family system who's allowed to have the majority of the anger, other people in the system would not be allowed to have anger. So for me, I wasn't allowed to have anger. So every time I had anger, it was met with abuse and resistance. So I learned and I adapted and my brain has learned that anger brings on pain and rejection and abuse. So I learned how not to have anger. So I've cut off that emotion within me. And any time that I'm in a situation, even as a grown man, where I feel anger, I don't initially feel the anger. The first thing I feel is shame. And then I will feel self-hate and I will emotionally abandon myself not to feel the anger. See, feeling the anger is more painful than the shame and the self-hate and the self-abandonment. So I choose the path of least resistance, not by choice. My brain right. just actually takes me there. Yes, that's, that is fascinating um, because I know that a lot of the trauma victims, you know, they say the same thing. You know, they, they were repressed uh, growing up and, you know, you're not supposed to show your anger. You're not supposed to show any type of emotions you're not supposed to cry or right, give me i'll give you something you know to cry about that type of stuff you know uh, as an adult it can it could definitely uh, if you don't get it under control like it could definitely lead to all kinds of relationship issues things uh, problems in the workforce uh, addiction things like that do would you say like with far as addiction and, and abandonment, 
does that all come from just repressing all those emotions? Because I know I've had a few people, um, experts on this podcast that say a lot of people that do um, basically repress their anger, it sometimes manifests in our bodies and it produces pain. What is your thoughts on that? Well, healthy anger is your protection. It's your boundary. Without having healthy anger, you're a doormat and a people pleaser, and you can just be run over because you're not going to be able to set boundaries. So for me, when I was sober, I couldn't get in touch with my anger. I couldn't get in touch with my boundaries. When I started using drugs and alcohol, I had no problem getting in touch with boundaries and anger and and protecting myself because it the the chemicals that I put in my body had shut off the part of my brain that had the fear of setting the boundaries so for me the alcohol and the drugs was a release was a was permission to have anger and to stand up for myself and to protect myself see I don't know how to do that when I'm sober as I peel off the layers and I try to undo the addiction that's and then start to feel the anger it's when i start to feel the anger that the shame comes up and those uncomfortable feelings and the guilt and the remorse and everything that i had felt as a child when i was abandoned for having anger i can't deal with those feelings so then i go back to the drink i start drinking the anger becomes easy the, the goal would be to learn how to deal with the guilt and the shame and the self-hate when you feel anger in sobriety so that you can portray it in and present it in a way where it's not rage and it's a healthier boundary instead of either not having any boundaries or taking that hard, rigid pushback boundary. There is a middle ground, but it takes a very long time to process and sit with your fear and your anger to become comfortable with it. See, if we're not allowed to feel it, we're not comfortable with it. So then we're going to cut it off. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, like you said, growing up, you know, if you're going through all this trauma and you're always on high alert, vigilant, you know, what, what does that do to your, you know, to your body? You know, what, what does it do when, when you grow up and you have to deal with, you know, uh, all kinds of things and you do come across rage or you get angry um, and you can't express it in a, in a healthy way. Um, at that point, you know, some people turn to addiction. Some people, you know, they get, they show their anger and, and then they get in trouble for that. So there has to be a fine line. And that's where I want to talk to you about the shadow work and some of the things that uh, that has helped people that have been through trauma. Um, what would you say, like as far as shadow work, can you explain what that entails and how it how it really helps with trauma victims? So if I had a traumatic experience, whether it was physical, emotional, sexual abuse, what the body, what the subconscious does is it kind of cuts off from us feeling that, right? So we cut, we numb out. And, you know, you were saying before that a lot of this happens before logical thought. So humans feel before they can think. So we internalize those feelings. 
by cutting off the traumatic events that I went through and not dealing with and not feeling them and not processing and experiencing them, I'm just storing them in my body. So my nervous system has all of this fear and panic and abuse and shame and humiliation that I am not looking at. So I cut it off and I push it away and I'm walking around with this big smile on my face, but I am a miserable human being inside. So the shadow work or the original pain work, however you want to call it is going back in emotional time and re-experiencing the feelings and the emotions and the fear that when it happened you had to cut off because you were too young to process it that you were too young to stand up to it you were too young to to understand what was going on so as an adult what I have to do is I have to go back to that emotional child and feel the panic and the terror and the pain of what I went through emotionally to feel it to grieve it to process it to heal it and to release it and it is the most difficult painful work that you're ever going to do but for me I tried everything this is the only thing that I found results with was to actually re-experience the emotional effects of the trauma. I mean, I've spent, I've spent a lot of time sobbing <laughs> and like deep emotional sobs going to places inside me that I didn't even know there was pain existed within me. And I've let it out. Mm -hmm. So I want to switch some gears here. Um, and I haven't really talked about this particular subject with trauma bonding but when a trauma victim leaves uh, let's say their abusers you know and and they have to fend for themselves why is that such a scary uh, process where people are like highly you know they get anxiety they they have all kinds of uh, problems adjusting is it because that they're used to being abused and when you take that away does that cause something physically and mentally in the body, would you say? Well, yeah. I mean, um, a, a non-abusive relationship for me is not normal. Like, I don't know how to be in a non-abusive relationship because my entire life, that's all I've known. And I've made these, I developed these skills to never be seen and, you know, covertly try to get my needs met. In a healthy relationship, you talk about those needs. So when I was in you know, growing up, if I said I had needs or wants or fears, they were dismissed. So I've learned not to acknowledge them within myself and never share them with anybody else. So part of my recovery is to come out of hiding and express my needs. And there's also, we identify with our abuser. So I could be living in the house that I grew up in, or I can be living in Tokyo, Australia, Berlin. It doesn't matter. What ends up happening <laughs> in our brain, we parent ourselves even when we leave home because we never leave home emotionally. Physically, we may leave, but I have parented myself the way I was parented my entire life, which was with no empathy, with no compassion, with no understanding, with no space to process feelings. So I've been beating myself up with self-hate, and I haven't lived home in 30 years. It is imprinted in our cells and in our brain and in our subconscious, and we have these negative tapes that run in the background unconsciously that we are worthless and we don't deserve anything because that's what we were taught. 
It is the process of teaching ourselves that that is not true. And by doing that, we have to look at the people that raised us. And basically, they weren't allowed to have certain, they didn't want to feel uncomfortable, feel bad feelings. So we had to adapt who we were so that they never feel bad. So we never got abused. And we carry that forward. And we don't know how to self parent. Very interesting. And, um, you know, definitely all the impasse and highly sensitive people that are listening right now in this episode, you know, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of them can relate with everything that you're saying. Um, there's a there's a lot of people that do people please and they've been through trauma over and over and over again and it's just hardwire but what is learned can be unlearned would you agree with that yes the things that we needed that we didn't get like compassion and understanding and patience those are the things we have to teach ourselves that are okay to have within our own body. See, if I have compassion for myself, I shame myself. Why? Because my entire life, anytime I had self-compassion, it was shamed and I was punished and abused. So I feel like it's wrong. I'm an adult intellectually. I understand that that's not right. But emotionally, I'm trapped as, a, as, a, as an 11 year old emotionally with certain emotions. And I have to develop and self-care and learn that compassion and understanding and self-care is vital. And it's okay to take that upon myself. But and, and it's dealing with the guilt and the shame of doing it that is the hardest part. Every time that I try to feed my soul in a healthy way, the first thing that pops up is shame. I self-abandon, I self-hate, and then I don't do it. And then I go back to destructive ways. It's dealing with that emotional pain within you of the guilt and the shame when you start to care for yourself that is so important to develop. When someone gets triggered, whether it's through anger or, you know, uh, something that's said, what, what is the remedy for that? I mean, they say like meditation, um, they say journaling, you know, uh, self-actualization, you know, just asking yourself your questions at that moment, what would you say would be the best way of, you know, just kind of controlling your triggers um, for someone that's been through hell and back with trauma? It, it's, I think it's a personal process for every person. I don't think there's one way of doing it. I know what works for me and, you know, what works for somebody else, they can explain it to me. And if it doesn't resonate with me, it's, it's not going to work. I think we all have to find our own way. But for, for me, what I've come to is a trigger is an extremely important learning experience. When I'm trauma triggered, I cannot stop it. I spiral out of control and I am just reacting on an unconscious level and I turn into somebody that nobody recognizes from my day to day. And what I end up doing is I try to connect the dots so I had one, I haven't had a big trigger in a long time. And about a month ago, I had one and I had to sit there and it took a couple of days to kind of get to it. So I scheduled time because obviously as an adults, we're very busy and we have responsibilities, but I do schedule time to feel bad. I schedule time to be quiet within myself. So for me, it was connecting to the dots. I was like, when I exploded, how did I get there? And I start to work the, the events backwards 
to see what actually led up to it. And 99 out of 100 times, it's basically me taking a resentment and just putting it in this resentment sack inside of me. And these resentments, I keep filing away inside of me. And then eventually that sack can't take any more resentment and it blows up. So learning how to address the resentments as they come up is very important. The thing is, so I didn't really have a trigger for, you know, almost a year. And when it came, I was in shock. I was like, wait, I didn't even realize they were gone. How did this come back? What I did differently as I get older and I do this work is I do not beat myself up for it. And this is the compassion we spoke about earlier. I I try to have compassion and understanding that that emotional trigger was the trigger of a child who knew no better, who has never grown past the age of 11 emotionally when it came to the situation. I go and I make amends. I apologize I try to explain what my triggers were and why they were there, how it had almost nothing to do with the other person, and it had to do with me and my history. I just did a podcast on, it was called Triggers Return. I was so blown away that it came out of nowhere. It was, I was in shock, and I was humiliated, and I was embarrassed, and I felt shameful, and I had to get into my vulnerability and go and apologize and explain it. Because the other people on the other end are like, dude, you were fine 10 seconds ago. And then you were like a lunatic. Like, how did you go from yeah, zero to 100 yeah. in a second? And exactly. for me, it wasn't that one <laughs> second. It was the last eight months of eating crap and not setting boundaries and not standing up for myself. So it took eight months for me to explode. So for, I think it's a personal process. Everybody has to find their own way, but getting into vulnerability and connecting the dots to see where and why it happened is so important. And making amends. It, you, you can't, I can't take my shame and my trauma, my abuse, and just explode on people and think it's okay because then I only become my abuser and I'm pushing shame on somebody else. Right. And that is so important. In fact, I mean, I had an incident just recently where I reached out to somebody who I, you know, I had a very high regards with and I've been working with them. Uh, and I, you know, I just took, you know, I took something maybe the wrong way. And then, you know, the trigger hit me pretty hard. And so I pushed back, uh, you know, 10 times harder to get their attention. Now, um, part of that is I caught myself and, you know, a lot of this stuff I'll introspect and I'll ask my question, ask questions like, okay, you know, what are you feeling? You know, why did you do what you did? You know, and trying to take myself out of that situation and look at from a third party's perspective and see, was it justified? You know, what I said, you know, or my, was my actions justified? And it's very, very tough to separate the two with, you know, and trying to evaluate your own self. And that's why I keep hearing journaling over and over with a lot of the guests and being able to go back and read what you wrote, uh, especially with the rage, you know, and, and maybe not sending it to whoever has abused you or, or something along those lines where you write something uh, about uh, an incident that happened and you tell you just write on that paper everything that you want to say and it could you could swear you can do whatever you want but then after you write it just rip it up and then 
you know, and just kind of throw it away. And that's supposed to, at least you got your, your rage out of, you know, your mind into the paper and now it's gone. Uh, I found that very helpful for me personally. Um, but just wrapping up here, um, I know a lot of people are, you know, the empaths and highly sensitive people that are tuning in, that are listening. What can you, what could you leave us with as a final, um, final word for anybody that might be trying to suffer, you know, that's suffering through trauma and they've, they've tried everything, uh, to kind of get back into some sort of normal lifestyle, but you know, they just keep going through the same cycles over and over again. What are some things that you could probably, uh, suggest that you have done that helped you? The first thing is if you're in an abusive relationship, get out. Get out of any abusive relationship you're in because if you're in an abusive relationship, you can't do inner work because there is a real danger that you are sitting with every day. So you are projecting outward to project protect yourself. So it's impossible to do inner work when you are in constant danger. Find a therapist and go through as many as you need to until you find the one that you feel you connect with that will challenge you but also be empathetic and compassionate. The biggest thing is to try to find some compassion for yourself and some patience for yourself. Stop self-hating on yourself because that just compounds it. We have to get out of the victim role. We have to stop blaming ourselves and blaming others and by empowering ourselves and making small steps going forward. See, I'm always the guy that's looking how far I have to go and how far I have to climb. And when I look that far ahead, I can't get off the couch. It is making your bed. It is making yourself a meal. It is whatever self-care speaks to you. Try riding a bike. Try walking. Try exercising, fishing, golfing, painting, writing, journaling. I don't care what it is. Try a hundred things. Eventually, you will find something that you find a meditative state with that is healing and you have space just to be you. Get out of the relate bad relationships, find a really good therapist, become compassionate to yourself. So important in this. The less self-hate you have, the faster this goes, the easier it goes. Very, very well said. And uh, obviously you've been through it yourself and uh, now you're a coach. And uh, if you'd like, I'd like to you know, have you just kind of tell us where you know, we can find you on social media. So if you go to uh, joeryan.com slash links, that has all my social and all ways to contact me. Um, I'm Joe Ryan on Instagram, and I have a podcast called It's Not You, It's Your Trauma, and that's on iTunes, Spotify, and all the, the major platforms. Thank you again for coming on my podcast. Uh, you're always welcome back. Wealth of knowledge. Uh, thanks again for being here today. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Absolutely, Joe. All right, guys. Uh, it's good to be back finally. And uh, I got a lot more episodes on their way. Um, so if you can please let me know how I'm doing, rate, share this to anyone that might be going through some trauma. And I want to thank each and every one of you for reaching out to me and letting me know how everything's going. Uh, and everything's going fine, just to let all you guys know um, that are uh, worried about me. So thank you again for reaching out. So with that said, we are out. 
fearlessly to the on-call impact.